You are listening to the Quarter Transmissions Special. Episode 50. And now, here are Craig and Jeff. Welcome to our uh, first part of our Season 2 wrap-up. This is Supplemental Log number 15 of the Tricorder Transmissions, and we are your hosts, Jeff Hewlett. And Craig Cohen. And we are joined once again by a recurring guest on our show. Uh, Mr. Chris Ritzer has been on, on many episodes prior to this, and uh, he's contributed a lot of great DS9 and Next Generation knowledge. Uh, as well as his insights on the original series, and he's back again to help us out with this two-part season two wrap-up. Chris, great to have you back on the show. Hey, what's up, guys? Thanks for having me on again. Oh, no problem. And Jeff, you you failed to mention that he is part of the super panel. He is part of the super panel. <laughs> Representing. <Yeah. laughs> yes. Representing the super panel. Shout out to April A. Bear and Vernon Wilmer, who are, are not with us this evening, but are here in spirit, and uh, we, we will keep them in mind as we are going through our uh, first half of the second season of Trek. So we just finished up our second season coverage, uh, and we that was last Sunday. We finished with Assignment Earth, and for this first half of the second season wrap-up, we're going to cover everything from a muck time through wolf in the fold and we're going to have some extra comments uh sprinkled in here by some of our show listeners and some of the the folks that we met at the convention so that's going to be really cool totally and uh we have a lot of a lot of fun episodes to talk about in this season and and chris i wanted to get your take on the feel of the second season overall compared to the first we kind of talked about it a little during our commentaries about sort of how weird or strange or, or out there the series started to get in season two. <laughs> yeah, I think this season two, I think everything really started to come together for it. I think all the characters were fully baked. There's really no bad episodes, I don't think, throughout the entire season for the most part. And yeah, there were definitely some out there episodes, but they usually tend to be pretty good interesting so I, i'm very interested to get your take on our essential votes on these episodes chris because there are uh, although we do agree on quite a few there are there are some that, that craig and i differ on so that that's really where i think you could you could serve as the the tiebreaker uh for the audience <laughs> sounds good <laughs> and awesome. jeff i don't want to tease anything uh-oh but we have an episode we're going to talk about i know on the first season you changed your vote on uh, on shore leave. I did from non-essential to essential, and I gotta let you know that we have an episode that we're gonna talk about that I voted essential. That I want to change my vote to non-essential. 
Wow. Okay. So hmm. let, let's not spoil that. Yeah. And we'll, we'll get there when we get there. I, I remember thinking back on on the season one wrap up because Chris was a part of that as well, and I remember how uh, how upset he was with me for changing my vote on shore leave. Yeah, that was sacrilege. <laughs> <laughs> and it can't be taken back. It's done. It's it's on the record books. Yeah. No take backs. Huh? Oh, you can take it back on the full series wrap. <laughs> Oh man, no, don't put the pressure on me like that, Chris. Uh I think that one that one may have to stand. Uh I'll think about it a little bit more through the third season, but uh I, I think we we may have to let that one stand. So we're gonna jump into our season two wrap-up, starting with a muck time and uh just some structure notes. Uh Craig is gonna be our our uh our synopsis reader. And we're going to go through how each of us voted and the reasons why uh, on each episode. And then we're going to kind of have Chris chime in on, on whether he agrees or disagrees with us. And uh, we, we may uh, at times insert some commentary from some of our, our friends and, and other guests on the show. Does that sound good to you guys? Works for me. All right. Sounds good. So why don't we just get started? So the season uh, started with the episode Amok Time. Craig, what's uh, what's the synopsis for that one? Suffering through his first infliction of Ponfar, the Vulcan biological mating urge, Spock must return to Vulcan to marry his betrothed, or he will die. However, when the Enterprise arrives at Vulcan, the complications at the ceremony may endanger Captain Kirk as well. Very ominous. I think this is a very popular episode of the original series. Sure, any time... A moment from a TV show is parodied in a movie um, <laughs> that instantly makes that episode an important episode. Are you referring to the cable guy? I am. Yes. So uh, not only is the fight scene parodied, but the music that was uh, was overlaid in the background of the fight scene has become, I think, really iconic and maybe one of the most memorable uh, musical cues in the original series. But what, Chris, do you, you recall that musical cue? Oh, uh, yes, I do. It's <laughs> <laughs> oh, great. I think everybody hopefully listening to the show knows that musical cue. And so good they used it again throughout the series. Oh, many yes. times and many different fight scenes. In fact, I think we pointed that out a couple times uh, in other episodes. Yeah. of the second of the second season. So needless to say, both Craig and I voted this an essential episode and uh some of the notes that I see here are that it this is really a no-brainer of of an essential episode. You've got the introduction of the concept of Pon Far, uh which is the the Vulcan burning of the blood. It's the the mating call that rec- that forces all Vulcans to uh, return to the motherland to uh, engage in this ritual. And, and Spock goes through that in this. And we see that again in um, Star Trek three, the movie, and we've heard about it other times. Uh, you've got the introduction of T'Pau, who is a, is a high ranking Vulcan. And we, we've seen her again and heard about her again. Uh, there, uh, the introduction of Chekhov which was in in broadcast order uh, of the original series. This was the first time the audience at home got to see Chekhov. So a major character got introduced in this episode in the running order of of the show. And there are a lot of great character moments throughout 
the the episode. Uh, Craig, do you have anything that you want to add to that? No, I think you did a tremendous job uh, wrapping up its importance. Oh, fantastic. So, uh, Chris Ritzer, do you agree or disagree with the double essential votes? Oh, I definitely agree. This episode is an absolute classic. It's one of my five favorite episodes. Uh, yeah, the fight scene is absolutely great. Uh, it's cool. Yeah, yeah, uh, you're introduced to, to Pow, and she shows up in Star Trek Enterprise. Uh, yeah, this episode is just awesome. I love it. All right. And to, to round the coverage of this episode out, I have some input uh, emailed into the show from uh, one of our Facebook contributors, and this is uh, Mr. Matt Walski. I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly. Uh, wonderful guy, and he I know he wanted to be part of the show, and hopefully we'll have him back on the, the next uh, season two wrap up, which will be the, the week following this one. So for, for this, he emailed in some notes that he wanted us to, to talk about. And he feels that is an essential episode as well. He agrees with all three of us. It sets up some themes that will be built on later in the series. Uh, great Kirk moments, risking his career and his life essentially to save uh, Mr. Spock. Uh, some, some great interplay between the leads, uh, especially Spock and McCoy. And let's see some iconic music that we mentioned before. There, uh, some nice first look at the planet of Vulcan, uh, which we didn't mention. You finally actually get to visit Spock's home world, and I'm I'm kind of taken aback by the fact that we we didn't cite that as an essential yeah. reason. But I I completely agree that uh, visiting Mister Spock's home world is definitely a reason to call this essential. And he actually throws in another note that says he met Arlene Martell, who was Spock's betrothed. Uh, he met her at a convention in, in 2012, and she was on stage singing a song uh, for the opening ceremony of the convention. So that's very cool to know that, that he got to see her live and in person. I know we were supposed to see her at the Vegas convention in, in 2014. And unfortunately, she had to cancel, and she has since passed away. Very sad, much too young, uh, and uh, our thoughts go out to uh, her family and uh, and any other fans out there, because um, she was really uh, an entertaining lady. Definitely was. So, uh, in closing, on a muck time, Chris, do you have any final thoughts on this? It's an abs it's absolutely an episode you cannot miss. If you're going to introduce someone to Star Trek, this is one that you could definitely show them first, and it would get them hooked. All right. Craig, any final closing comments? Yeah, I mean, it's just one of those sort of game-changing episodes in the sense that it reveals something that you didn't know about a character prior to that episode that adds more weight to their character, builds their backstory, um, and creates a great, great conflict. I also like to say I love the very uh, one of the first scenes in the show where Spock takes the... Uh, dish with the food and tosses it out his uh, door that oh that's great <laughs> yeah. Vulcan soup and 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 of all people it's it's what poor nurse chapel um who bears the brunt of that yes yes and she went out of her way to make that soup for him the vulcan soup so uh, hats off to nurse chapel for going over and above and then uh, being the subject of a, of a very uh, sad sad occurrence at the hands of mr yeah. spock so moving on our next episode of season two was Who Mourns for Adonis? What is our plot synopsis, Craig? The Enterprise is captured by an alien claiming to be Apollo, the Greek god of the sun. Wow, that's pretty concise. 
Yes. So uh, both Craig and I voted non-essential on this episode. Uh, reasons being that um, the villain, Apollo, is uh, strikingly similar in tone to Charlie X from the first season and uh, the Trelane character from the first season. So another all-powerful godlike being that the uh, crew of the Enterprise must face off against. Uh, Scotty in this episode seems pretty off character for himself. He He's uh, much, uh, I, I guess you're supposed to understand that he's in love or or is infatuated with He's this. going through Pond Far. Ah, <laughs> nice. Uh, and it just seems very out of character for him. Now, despite the fact that you do have some good Spock moments and some good Kirk moments, uh, both Craig and I felt that this episode really had nothing. Uh, there were no series firsts. Uh, there were no recurring aliens that 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 came back later on. So uh, uh, very difficult to find a reason to call this essential. Chris Ritzer, how do you feel? Uh, I think it's a cool concept with how uh, like the Greek gods were pretty much aliens and all that. It's kind of cool story, but it's definitely not essential and easily passable. Hmm. Uh, Craig, any further thoughts on your non-essential vote? No, I think it really just, you know, really keyed in and on the all-powerful being concept that had been done um, earlier and arguably um, better. Although I really enjoy this episode, and I think it's one of those Star Trek episodes that has an incredibly emotional uh, ending. So uh, it is an episode I, I enjoy, um, but there's just nothing, nothing there to, to, to make it uh, essential. Oh, great point. So uh, to, to close out our coverage of uh, Whom Warrants for Adonis, we have some comments from uh, Donnie Versaja. You'll remember him from a previous uh, Vegas, one of our Vegas convention wrap-up episodes. He was a, a great guy we, we met out there. And uh, here's what Donnie had to say about Whom Warrants for Adonis. I'm kind of iffy on that one. Um, who mourns for Adonis? Um, I feel like it's. I feel like it may be essential. Uh, I think the, the Apollo. That's just a famous scene in Star Trek, especially you know when he he grows from from small to large. I feel like that's that's a really good moment. Uh, I do agree with some of the points that you brought up about the episode. Um, you know, and it's not one of the greatest, but I think I would have to say it's probably essential. All right. So moving on, our, our next episode is the uh, the Changeling. This is the third episode in the second series. Both Craig and I felt that this episode was essential uh, for for many uh, many reasons. Craig, do you want to shed some light on that? The Enterprise finds an ancient interstellar probe from Earth, missing for two hundred and sixty five years, which has somehow mutated into a powerful and intelligent machine bent on sterilizing entire populations that do not meet its standards of perfection. So we both felt that this episode was uh, essential to the original series. Chris, uh, how do you feel about this episode? Uh, I think it's essential. It's a, it's a definitely a cool episode. Uh, this is the Bluey episode, right? Yes, it is. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, that, that's the only part of the episode I don't like, that Ahura's brain gets totally wiped and she's pretty much back to normal within an episode or two but other yeah, than that's that like, yeah that's like the write her off of the show moment yeah exactly it just it makes no sense unless Kirk just doesn't mind having people with 
the IQ of a four-year-old <laughs> working on the bridge, but with each their own. But uh, yeah, it's it's a cool episode. Yeah, definitely essential, and it's cool that it sort of sets up uh, the motion picture as well, like that same the uh, storyline. Except I think done much better in this particular episode. Yeah, and and one of the things I know me and Jeff keyed in on was the expansion of Spock's mind melt or uh, uh, yes, you know mind melt powers where he's able to to mind probe uh, a machine. Yeah, that was impressive. Yeah, that's one of the things that uh, listener Matt Walski points out in uh, in his comments that he sent over. And some of the things that he mentioned here are uh, he believes this episode is essential as well. And he says that uh, put this episode together with the immunity syndrome and you have a far more interesting alternate version of Star Trek The Motion Picture. I, ha- I hadn't really thought about that. Uh, Kirk, once again, is talking a computer to death, which we've seen him do before. And Spock mind melding with Nomad is quite a memorable scene. So that establishes the fact that the mind meld is not just a uh, an organic being to organic being connection. We've seen it done with an, an alien species before when he mind melded with the Horda in The Devil in the Dark. But we've never seen it done between him and a machine. So that, that's pretty significant. Uh, we've got uh, four red shirts or so killed in this episode. Uh, Scotty actually dies in this episode and is brought back to life, so that's a major character death uh, included in this. And uh, he also goes on to mention that this episode establishes that the Enterprise can withstand the equivalent of 90 photon torpedoes in one hit, which is pretty cool. Uh, Any final thoughts on the Changeling, uh, Chris? Uh, No, I think we pretty much covered it all. All right, Craig Cohen? Ditto. All right, on we go. Uh, next episode is Mirror, Mirror. And uh, I think this is a, a pretty iconic and well-known episode. Uh, Craig, can you give us a synopsis? Sure thing. A transporter malfunction sends Kirk, McCoy, Scotty, and Uhura into a parallel universe where the Federation is replaced by an evil empire. Kirk is a despot and Spock is a cunning pirate. Obviously, both Craig and I voted essential on this one and uh, aside from all of the great stuff that happens in this episode and the great character moments the major essential part is that this introduces the mirror universe which becomes almost a star trek staple through other uh, trek series books comics novels what have you uh chris ritzer can you shed some light on how often the mirror universe is visited in deep space nine it's visited just about I think every season from season two on wow. uh they have like a, a non-stop running storyline which was really cool so you get to see uh how everything all the fallout from this episode and then you get to see uh in star trek uh, enterprise as well that's what a two or three parter there that was really cool and uh yeah this is definitely an essential episode it's an absolute classic another one of my five favorite uh episodes uh, it's nice to see Ahura gets to branch out and really actually sh- show some uh, acting chops here. Uh, Sulu is absolutely fantastic and really steals the show. Uh, Spock is really badass in this one. It is a great episode. I think Craig and I both agree with you on that. Craig, do you have any thoughts to share? I mean, this is one of those cocktail party episodes that I love to 
talk about so much. I mean, this is just um, an iconic part of Star Trek history, and certain episodes, beyond the fact that it introduces the concept of the mirror universe, um, certain episodes just don't need anything more than to be that episode to be essential. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I agree, and so does um, so does Matt Walski. He says this episode is essential. He does say that the scenes with Marlena in Kirk's quarters kind of drag for him a little bit. Boo! Yeah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you have to come on and defend yourself there, Matt. Uh, he loves the he loves Mirror Sulu. He felt that. Uh, you know, Mirror Chekhov gets a little bit more screen time than he thought that 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 he should. And one interesting point that he brings up is that he felt that the stunt doubles in season two are less noticeable than the stunt doubles in season one, uh, where 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 Spock's doubles have curly hair. Craig or Chris, do you recall uh, stunt doubles in season one being more noticeable? I, I will say this. I I think. The only real big stunt player moment we caught this season was late in the season, possibly, I want to say maybe the ultimate computer where we had a pretty glaring um, McCoy mm -hmm. stunt double. But aside from that, I think I think Matt might be onto something in terms of uh, they either got their coverage a little a little bit, um, you know, more in line um, or they just found better doubles. <laughs> uh, he also uh, Matt also mentioned something that I think that we may have touched on in our uh, episode commentary, and that is the scene where Mirror Sulu catches Kirk and company in the sick bay and with some guards, and Marlena uses the Tantalus field to eliminate the guards, but not Sulu. So interesting that she opted to turn the Tantalus field off and leave Mirror Sulu there. Uh, pointing his phaser at, at our heroes. Do you, you guys have any thoughts on why that might have been, uh, Chris? I guess you have to make the episode a bit more exciting. Mm -hmm. that's, that's all I got on that one. <laughs> I actually think that there might be, it seems like everybody in the Mirror Universe operates uh, sort of under the same you know, line of thinking, whereas people you interact with are people that can either do things for you or can't do things for you or could possibly do things for you in the future. So possibly she saw Sulu as a potential ally or playing piece um, down the line, whereas the two goons that were with him um, were truly uh, not to use um, uh, such an overused word, but expendable. Hmm. That's a good point. Yeah, very good. All right. So uh, we'll, we'll move on to the next episode in season two, and that would be The Apple. Craig, what is the plot synopsis? The Enterprise crew discovers an Eden-like paradise on Gamma Triangle 6, controlled by a machine that is revered by the local humanoid primitives as a god. So Craig is also referring to the, the mouth of a cave that's shaped like some sort of a serpent. So uh, very uh, strange. Uh, cool set building. Unfortunately, both Craig and I called this a non-essential episode, and uh, you know, for obvious reasons, there were no major uh, character-building moments in this episode. No alien, uh, recurring alien firsts. Uh, you know, no no lasting information, no background information of any kind presented here. Uh, some some interesting moments uh, between Kirk and Scotty mentioned here by by Matt Walski where he uh, 
he fires Scotty and immediately rehires him. Uh, some of the, there's a little bit of Prime Directive stuff sprinkled in here. Uh, Kirk, of course, breaking the Prime Directive. So, Chris, how do you feel about uh, the double non-essential vote on the Apple? I definitely agree. Uh, I it's just a lot of computer controlling people a bit too often. It's already happened. I mean, this is like the second computer episode really quick this season. And it's just been, I think, a little bit done to death at this point. And it just really doesn't do anything for me. I mean, it can be fun to watch, I suppose, but yeah, definitely not essential. Yeah, it's one of those things where done either before or after and, and done better. So that really uh, takes away any, uh, you know, of the essentialness. Uh, of of any of the ideas that they they present. All right, good points all around. Good points all around. I guess no, uh, there's no challenge to the double non-essential, so we can move on to another episode, which I think will have no challenge either, and that is the Doomsday Machine. Craig. Yes, the Enterprise discovers a super weapon capable of destroying entire planets, and a Commodore whose crew was killed by the machine jeopardizes the crew on a crazed mission of revenge. Great synopsis. And of course, like I said, it's a double essential episode. And I, I don't know if anybody out there could debate the fact that this episode is essential. There's a lot of reasons why. You've got some heavy use of Starfleet regulations, which we're going to be hit over the head with for uh, all of the other Star Trek series. They always come into play. You've got uh, some hierarchy going on. You, you establish that there are higher ranking officers than Kirk who can take command of his ship. Uh, Scotty's heroics. You've got the introduction of Commodore Decker, who is the father of Decker from the motion picture. Uh, Chris, I, I don't assume that you're going to have any argument against the essential nature, but do you have any other supporting comments? It's definitely essential. I mean, how can you go wrong? The Enterprise versus a big flying joint. It's just <laughs> awesome. <laughs> That's why Decker was flying into it. He just wanted to get baked out of his skull. So. <laughs> uh, only the perspective that Chris could offer on this episode. Uh, we actually have perspective on this from a couple of other guests. Uh, let's hear what Donnie has to say, Donnie Versaja has to say about the Doomsday Machine. That's one of the, you know, best episodes in the uh, in the original series for sure. Um, it's got space battles. It's got um, uh, Scotty saving the day in the Jeffrey's tube. It's got an, this first time we see, I believe, another Starfleet ship in the in the series. Am I correct? I think um, you might be. It's the first time we see, uh, you know, or it's a Constitution class actually. Uh, it was the USS Constellation. First time we see another Constitution-class starship, um, the reuse of the sets uh, made to look like a slightly different ship. You've got the auxiliary control room again, which I'm a big fan of, as, as I said before. The only thing I don't like about the Doomsday Machine is uh, Matt Decker's, the way he played his character uh, was a little too comical, or not comical, but just kind of over the top and uh, like a cartoon character, I guess. I wish his acting would have been better, a little bit more serious. Uh, but other than that, I think it's a great episode. All right. And Matt Walski has also emailed in some comments. He agrees with the essential nature of this episode. Uh, some commentary from him is uh, it's an incredible episode. Uh, you got to see another starship, as uh, as Donnie said before. You've got some 
uh, interstellar uh, phaser battles going on, especially with the remastered effects. So you've got some really great shots of uh, multiple Starfleet vessels flying around. Uh, you've got some shuttlecraft scenes, which are always great. Uh, top performance from a guest star with some extremely awesome music that's also been reused. Some more iconic Trek score. And we get to see Kirk walk past the bridge view screen at the end of the episode, which doesn't happen all that often. So you, that's a, an angle on the bridge that you don't see uh, very often. So that's, that's a cool thing to take a look at near the end. I, I guess it, it's hard to find any reasons why we, we wouldn't call this an essential episode. Do either of you guys have any idea why anybody could say this is not essential? It's me. Yeah. All right. So enough said. Enough said. Uh, let's move on to an obvious non-essential episode, and that is uh, Cat's Paw, which is the next episode in the second season. Uh, Craig, what's Cat's Paw all about? Yeah, it air aired, as we talked about, on October 27th, so a couple days before Halloween, and it was what we like to call their Halloween episode, uh, the only holiday-themed episode, um, and in it, the Enterprise crew finds witches, black cats, and haunted castles on a distant planet. I think that's really all the synopsis you really need for uh, for Cat's Paw, and, and Craig and I both voted this a non-essential episode, and uh, reasons for that are, I, I think, pretty obvious that th there are no real standout moments. We don't meet any new aliens. Uh, character moments, there really aren't many. And aside from being the only Trek-related uh, holiday episode, there's really nothing to write home about here. Chris, what do you feel about Cat's Paw? Uh, Non-essential. It really doesn't do anything for me. Yeah, it's easily skippable. Interesting. Now, I, I actually have a conflicting opinion here to share Ooh. with you guys. And Excellent. and that's coming from Mr. Matt Walski. And he calls Cat's Paw essential. He said that he loves the gothic settings. The idea that, that Kirk and company can come across uh, witches, castles, dungeons, etc. Uh, it has its own musical score and some great sets. He, he loves the love scenes with Sylvia and uh, the voodoo replica of the Enterprise encased in the silicone block uh, he thinks is great. And uh, I, I think it's interesting that someone can uh, differ with us on this episode. Craig, do you, do you see uh, Matt's points on this? I see why this is such a fun episode to watch but I still don't see anything that makes it essential. Believe me, this is an episode when the when the weather gets cool and uh, it gets dark out earlier and you just want to watch some real spooky stuff. This is going to be an episode that I go to um, often. But beyond that, and, and, and Matt did point out some really, really cool stuff that goes on, especially the, the original score, which we know didn't happen very often on Star Trek. They would reuse music that they used already. So that's a great observation. And if we were doing maybe essential discussions from a production standpoint, I might be inclined to uh, to agree there. But uh, as it stands, uh, that's not enough to sway me. Very cool. So one thing that Matt says here that I didn't read yet that I was kind of saving to close out Cat's Paw, and you know how I love uh, – digging into episodes and, and looking for concepts that, that kind of make me go, hmm. 
the thing that he mentioned is that uh, you know Kirk kind of has a makeout scene with Sylvia during the episode, who's the the evil female lead. And at the end of the episode, uh, before they leave the planet, we get the reveal that the uh, the aliens in the episode actually kind of look like these little pipe cleaner insect like aliens. So interpolating into that, Kirk was making out with. Uh, Sylvia, who winds up being a pipe cleaner, what would it, what what would it be like making out with a uh, an insect like alien? Chris, what do you think? I simply think Kirk probably figured, well, that's one more uh, check on the list, <laughs> a notch on the headboard, achievement unlocked. It's probably one thing he holds over all the other crew members' heads. They're like, hey, you guys didn't make out with a praying mantis. Let let's let's move on past cat's paw. Next up is i mud and uh craig why don't you run us through that one sure thing harry mud now ruler of a planet of androids captures the enterprise and attempts to imprison kirk for revenge oh i am on pins and needles thinking about what chris ritzer is going to say because i know how much he <laughs> hates harry mud but before we get to chris's input i will say that both craig and i voted this an essential episode and the reasons why are uh, uh, I know that I felt that this was the definitive Harry Mud episode, and uh, I I did vote Mud's Women, the seasons one episode, a non-essential episode. That's something that Craig and I disagreed on. Uh, and one of the reasons why I voted Mud's Women non-essential is because I knew that I was going to vote uh, I Mud as essential. I think that Mud is far better utilized in this episode than he was in Mud's Women. I think his comedy is better in this one. I think uh, his um, uh, his scoundrel nature is, is much better displayed here. You've got great character moments for everybody involved. You've got some really classic uh, exchanges between Spock and McCoy. Really great stuff there. Uh, Kirk, of course, talking machines to death once again. You've got a great dramatic death scene by Scotty here. Uh, and you've got a lot more Ohura screen time here than she normally gets. So it's awesome to see Ohura off the bridge and, and getting to actually have some fun and, and, and a little bit of an adventure in, in her career. And uh, I, I think for me, this episode is, is an example of the things that really made the original series great which is a great interplay between the characters. You've got some great humor sprinkled in there. You've got the sci-fi with the androids, and uh, you've got a great, a lot of good tension there with the crew being held hostage for a while and having to rely on their wits to outsmart these android machines. So I, Craig and I both gave this a double essential. Craig, do you have anything you want to add to that? No, you did a, a tremendous job uh, pleading its case <laughs> to, uh, to Chris. All right, so Chris, tear us down. Oh, it is, without a doubt, the definitive uh, mud episode. Mm -hmm. It's definitively bad. Oh! <laughs> nice oh, fake man. out. Nice fake out. Yeah, I, I do not like this episode. I just, I cannot stand mud in any of his forms. Uh, the, the one part of the episode I do like is at the end when everyone's getting all logical and silly to mess up all the robots, but uh, no. Nah. Next. 
pass. <laughs> wow. Okay. So, well, I, I don't want to cut this episode short because I think it deserves a little more attention. So I'll read a couple of lines from Matt Walski here. He agrees that this is essential. And he reiterates that if you pick one mud story from uh, the original series, that this has to be the one. So thank you, Matt, for agreeing with me on that point. And um, he thinks that uh, everyone has something to do with the exception of Sulu, who uh, disappears at the end of Act 1. And uh, it, this was, uh, unbeknownst to the viewers, this was Sulu's last show before he left for the Green Berets. So we make a, ah, a large cool. a point of Sulu being absent for quite a bit of the second series. So this was where he actually disappeared. And thanks for, for to Matt Walski for pointing that that out to us and uh see sulu hated it so much too he left oh, gotta get in that last minute jab <laughs> don't you chris yes i did all right well speaking of last minute jabs we're gonna move on to metamorphosis and uh craig can you run us through the synopsis sure thing on an isolated asteroid kirk finds zephram cochran inventor of the warp drive who has been missing for 150 years wow 150 years a long time uh, Craig and I both voted this episode essential, and I believe that the prevailing reason for that was the introduction of Zephram Cochran, uh, inventor of Warp Drive, so who famously uh, reoccurs in the Next Generation movie First Contact, which is the, the Borg movie, which they uh, the Borg goes back in time and attempts to stop Zephram Cochran from launching his warp ship, so... Uh, if you were to see that movie, you, you could uh, get the genesis or the, the early appearance of Zephram Cochran from this original series episode. Uh, Craig, any other notes to make this essential? Um, yeah, I actually want to make this non-essential. Wow! <laughs> For that very reason, uh, the more I thought about it, the more I thought, does it really matter um, in the grand scheme of things who invented the warp drive? And does it matter that he went on to be in a Next Generation movie? I'm not sure it does. Hmm. Interesting point. Uh, I, I think, uh, let, let's see. Well, Chris, what do you think about this? Oh, this is definitely essential. I mean, the guy invented warp drive. This is like, that warp drive, there'd be no Star Trek. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, we don't <laughs> How know who do you invented get the... the phaser or who invented the tricorder. Um, I don't know. It just doesn't seem like a, it's a cool sort of, trivia question but i don't think it's a it's a necessary detail we know that somebody created it yeah that's mm -hmm. true but i think there's enough there to make it essential though interesting and i i will defer to matt walski on this who also calls this essential if mm -hmm. only for zephram cochran so uh another agreement on zephram making this an essential episode and he also points out something that that i think we mentioned on our commentary that we really thought was a poignant moment and, and an emotional moment and that is uh, once the companion uh, occupies a human body uh, the companion holds up a scarf and we see a view of Zephram himself through this scarf which strangely the scarf resembles the 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 polka dot pattern the the companion in its ghostly form and we as an audience get to see uh, Zephram Cochran as the companion has seen him for all these years and that's a, a great emotional and and poignant moment for Star Trek and I, I don't know uh, how many people pick up on that but I, I think that was a great uh, moment pointed out by Matt and I, I thank him for uh, for pointing that out to us and do, do we right do you, I know you guys have a perspective on that 
No, it's very cool. I, I always that's why I love these these wrap ups uh, or any episode where we talk to um, outside voices um, because it always you know puts your eyes or your ears on something that you overlooked or or didn't focus on as much. So uh, very cool, great detail, and uh, yeah, thanks, Matt. Very cool. Uh, any closing thoughts on Metamorphosis, Chris? Uh, no, I think we covered everything. All right, fantastic. So to round out the Metamorphosis coverage, let's uh, let's take a listen to what Donnie Versaja had to say about it. I like it. Uh, I was, I'll say it's essential for sure, basically because Zephyr and Cochran. It's also a shuttlecraft episode, and anytime they feature the shuttlecraft, it, it kind of piques my interest. Uh, it's a great set that was, it was underutilized a little bit, but a uh, great set, a set that was always... Uh, changing throughout each time it was seen um, just a little bit of background but you know they they added more uh, props and greebly stuff on the walls to the shuttlecraft uh, each each time they featured in an episode so it's a shuttlecraft episode Zephyrin Cochran and it also features the universal translator which is all you know an awesome prop uh, but they do feature that uh, later in TNG and Deep Space Nine they feature a little bit more but uh... alright so that takes us through to Journey to Babel so this uh, is, I, I think, a, kind of a cornerstone episode of the original series. And uh, I think it's a no-brainer that this was a double essential from both me and Craig. Uh, Craig, uh, let's run through the synopsis real quick. Yeah, as the Enterprise comes under attack on, on the way to a diplomatic conference on Babel, one of the alien dignitaries is murdered, and Spock's estranged father, Sarek, is the prime suspect. But he is also deathly ill, and only Spock can save him. Yeah, it absolutely. I don't think that anybody could argue that this is not an essential episode because you've got not only do you have the introduction of Sarek, Spock's father, who is a recurring character for a long time. He's he's appeared in multiple series and in in the films. Uh, you also have the the introduction of two major recurring races. Uh, the Andorians and the Tellarites, as well as a couple of minor races that don't necessarily recur very often, but are also introduced in this episode. So th there's a, a lot in this episode to learn and to take forward into the rest of Star Trek, the original series and into the films and other movies as well. Uh, Chris, I know you are a uh, well-versed Star Trek historian. Do you have any more insight into that? Uh, it's definitely uh, one of my favorite episodes. Definitely uh, a must-see. Uh, it's a huge world-building episode. Also, uh, yeah, Jane Wyatt is Amanda. She pops up in the uh, movies as well. Uh, yeah, it's a really cool episode. Uh, you get to see another side of Spock. You get to find out about his uh, <laughs> teddy bear. Yeah, it's, it's a really fun episode to watch. The Tellarites are great. The uh, Andorians are a really cool race. This is a fantastic episode. Yeah, I know there's a very prominent Andorian recurring character on Enterprise. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah, Shran. Yeah, Shran, he's a really badass Andorian. <laughs> yeah, so this is this is a significant episode on so many fronts, and and uh, knowing how significant the the Andorian race becomes later on, I, I don't think you could possibly call this non-essential. Matt Walski agrees that this is an essential episode, and he does point out another interesting behind-the-scenes point is that the Andorian spy character 
who is caught in this episode, is played by one of the Black Widow biker gang members from uh, the movie Every Which Way But Loose. Oh, very cool. Yeah, I didn't realize that, and that's a great movie. Uh, I, I know I really, really like that movie, and uh, Matt is very uh, happy to know that he was in a, a Star Trek episode. And he also points out that McCoy getting the last word in the final scene is very cool, too. So... Um, before we depart from Journey to Babel, do either one of you guys uh, have closing thoughts you want to share? Yeah, I actually prefer any which way you can. Ah. <laughs> Very good. Chris Ritzer, anything from you? Uh, I think we pretty much covered it all. All right. So uh, Donnie Versage has a couple things to say about Journey to Babel before we go. So let's hear from him. Uh, yeah, that's one of my favorite episodes. Definitely essential. Um like you said, uh, introduces Spock's parents and Sarek, uh, some great alien races, the Tellarites, the uh, Andorians. You know, it gives you a background of Spock's childhood, which, you know, they never really touched on before. So it's interesting to see all that. Um, you know, I think it's great to see, it's more of a, um, for the original series, it was, it, it kind of showed you a bigger picture of the Federation and how it was working in a diplomatic sense. You know, they were on their way to to the Corrigan or Corridan or something like that, uh, debates or whatever, you know, to, to debate their entry into the Federation or whatever. So you kind of got a sense that that they expanded more on later in other series of the United Federation of Planets as being this huge uh, society of uh, alien races. All right, and that brings us to Friday's Child. And this is the first episode in the second season that Craig and I disagree on. So Craig, why don't you run us through the synopsis and uh, we'll talk about our reasoning. Sure. The Enterprise becomes involved in a local power struggle on planet Capella 4 where the Klingons want mining rights. So uh, Craig voted essential on this episode and I uh, voted non-essential. And uh, from my, the best of my recollection, I felt that uh, since the Capellan race, the aliens, the Capellans did not reoccur, in the original series or any of the other series that that uh, constituted a, 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 a an alien race that was pretty much lost to the ages. So uh, that didn't make it essential. And, you know, you had some great McCoy moments in the episode. And of course, the Klingons appear again. But I didn't feel like there was anything in this episode that uh, would, would make me recommend this as an essential episode. And it's something that you, you would need to watch to progress further in 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 the series craig why did you vote this essential um i think the mccoy has enough stuff going on in this episode that really give you an appreciation and a, an understanding of her uh, of his character and what it means for him to be a doctor i also think that scotty's experience um on the bridge adds a little bit of insight into Scotty's character as well for these. So these are really all character moments for me. Mm -hmm. And I think if I really had to break, you know, break it down and really try and defend this, uh, I'm not sure that, that I could. Hmm. Interesting. Well, it's a good thing that we have a, an objective third party on this episode with us to act as a tiebreaker. Chris Ritzer, uh, how do you feel about Friday's child? Julie Newmar. Uh, essential oh man oh knife to the gut <laughs> knife to the also, gut. also other than that yeah uh, mccoy is really badass in this episode 
Scotty, yeah, taking control of the Enterprise. I dig that. And also, if you do look at non-canon in the books, you get to see uh, the little kid that's born, uh, Leonard James Akar. He pops back up and ends up being the head of uh, Starfleet, like one of the main admirals in the books. So if you look at it that way, that also helps out. But, oh, yeah, Julian Umar, you can't deny that. Right. Well, I, I I I won't argue over it. I'll I will maintain my not essential vote. But uh, for the listening audience out there, do do not take that as a hit against Julie Newmar. Uh, she's incredible. So uh, we have a little bit from uh, Donnie Versage on this episode. So let's hear what he has to say. Friday's Child uh, definitely not one of my favorites, and I would have to say it's probably non essential. Uh, the only moment that really stands out in my mind is when uh, McCoy slaps, or is, wait, is it the other way around? Does he slap her? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, he slaps the girl. See, I don't even remember that, remember it that well, but I remember McCoy slapping the the uh, pregnant lady, and uh, I think that was great. Uh, it does feature the Klingons though too, so that, that's always a plus. But then again, not not a very good episode though, and uh, non-essential in my my opinion. All right, so Donnie agrees that this is a non-essential episode, so we're divided 50-50, so no resolution on this one. So why don't we go ahead and move on to the next episode in the running order of of Season 2, and that is The Deadly Years. Craig. The Enterprise discovers a colony full of rapidly aging scientists. Whatever caused the rapid aging afflicts the ship's landing party as well. Kirk, Spock, McCoy, and Scott are shocked to discover they are aging decades each day and will soon die unless a cure can be found. The unaffected Chekhov may be their their only hope for survival. So Craig and I both voted this episode essential, and there are a few reasons why. You get to learn about how many years Sulu has been in the service, you also get to learn Kirk's age, which is 34 years old, according to this episode. So that's something that we did not know before. Uh, very cool thing. And uh, you've got a, a, a past relationship of Kirk's with a timestamp attached to it. So uh, another very cool uh, piece of information. So a lot of backstory and a little expose info on a few of the recurring characters, as well as a one of uh, one of my uh, favorite hero moments for Kirk at the end of this episode. Uh, so y- you've got Kirk restored to his normal age, coming onto the bridge, uh, taking charge again, and getting the ship out of could what could be a Kobayashi Maru type of scenario. Craig, do you have anything that you want to add to that? No, you did a, a wonderful job. All right, Chris Ritzer, opinions. Uh, it's a fun episode, but I have to go non-essential on this wow. one. Uh, I think everything you learn, it's sort of trivial and uh, in the end, not all that important. It's a fun episode. It's just not one I think you have to watch. All right. So to close out our coverage of the Deadly Years, here is Donnie Versage offering his point of view. That's a tough one. I mean, you, you do bring up some good points, but I, uh, I don't, I, I would say it's non-essential. 
just because I really don't think that that would be one of the episodes I would say that a new person would have to have to watch. And I think it comes off as a little, a, a little playful, childish. Well, maybe not childish, but a little playful and uh, a little kooky as well. Uh, but that's just my opinion. All right. Very cool. That brings us to Obsession. Uh, Craig Cohen, what is the synopsis? A, a survey of Argus 10 brings the Enterprise crew in confrontation with a vampiric cloud that killed a crew Kirk was on years ago, captained by the father of an ensign currently assigned to the ship. All right, very cool. So this episode actually is the the second uh, reinterpretation in, in Star Trek of the Moby Dick story. So we have the Captain Ahab-type character. Uh, the first one was the Doomsday Machine, where... Uh, Commodore Decker was the the Captain Ahab character, and this time it's Captain Kirk himself who is on an obsessive uh, journey to try to destroy this monster that uh, killed a bunch of his friends and uh, service members in the past. And this is a double essential vote from both me and Craig. And the reasons for that was you get a lot of great backstory on Kirk. You get to learn about his uh, first assignment, right out of the Academy, which was on the USS Farragut. You get to learn about the uh, the captain who he served under for quite a bit of time, right out of the Academy. So you get to learn a bit about him. You also get to learn about Spock and the Vulcan biochemistry. We get to learn that Spock and the Vulcans have copper-based blood, which is a, an interesting exposition. And we get to learn a little bit about technology where the, the Phaser 2, I know we have, there's a difference between Phaser 1 and Phaser 2, we get to learn that the Phaser 2 has a disruptor setting, which is something that we typically attribute to Klingon phasers. So, Chris Ritzer, uh, any uh, opinions on Obsession? I'm sort of on the fence with this one. Uh, it's a really cool episode, and I, I think you guys, yeah, I think you swayed me. I think it is essential. Oh. Why not? <laughs> can't argue with that <laughs> why not so uh, yeah great stuff and uh let's see here um matt walski actually disagrees with us and Ooh. he calls this episode uh non-essential uh he said it's decent enough uh nothing awful but nothing for him nothing particularly memorable and he's comparing it to the other uh, iconic episodes of the second series namely the doomsday machine so uh, he's he's taking an approach where he's uh, taking this episode and putting it up against the best episodes of the second series and calling it non-essential based on that. And I can respect that. Um, I, I have to confess, I'll show my cards on this, that I really love this episode on a, on a personal level. And uh, I've always had a lot of fun watching this, and I love Kirk's uh, obsession with that cloud. I, I think it shows a great side of Kirk because usually we we see that Kirk is is uncorruptible and unswayable but in this episode he's very vulnerable. Yeah, I was going to say and the other thing I love about it is there's a point in the episode where he's um doing a log and he's questioning himself mm -hmm. and he's questioning his decision and it's rare um that we got that we saw Kirk uh, doubting himself or second guessing himself uh you know, we're so used to him being the headstrong captain who always makes the right decision. Yes. Yes, I agree with that. And it, that that is a rare thing. And I think we've only seen that maybe uh, we saw that in um, 
what is it, the enemy within, uh, where mm-hmm. he was split in two. So we see the good side of Kirk kind of questioning himself. And uh, I, I, we've seen it at one other time, but it was very, very, very pronounced in this episode. So, so great point. Uh, Chris, do you have anything that you want to add to that? Uh, yeah, I, I agree with what uh, Craig just said. Yeah, it's good seeing uh, Kirk questioning himself. And yeah, this is definitely a cool episode. Yeah, I agree with you guys. All right. So that brings us to the final episode that we're going to cover in part one of our season two wrap up. And that is Wolf in the Fold. And this is a very, very Scotty heavy episode. Craig? Scotty is suspected of killing several women while on shore leave on Argilius 2. However, a more sinister force may provide a connection between this murder and many previous around the galaxy, including a rampage on ancient Earth. Yeah, and that that refers to the the Jack the Ripper angle. So this this Trek episode is another one that kind of ties back into Earth history and things that a viewer would be familiar with, and that that would be the the infamous Jack the Ripper serial killer. Uh, Craig and I both voted non-essential on this episode, and I think we we were both wishing that we could vote essential because we really wanted to see a Scotty-centric episode be up there in the ranks with all the other essential ones. Uh, Craig, am I am I on on that? Yep. All right, Chris, what do you think about Wolf in the Fold? Uh, non-essential. I have to agree with you guys on this mm. one. Uh, it has its moments, but it just it doesn't have enough going for it. Hmm. All right. Very interesting. Uh, Matt Walski agrees with us uh, with the caveat that he he doesn't feel that he understand it uh, the entire episode. And uh, he was kind of confused by the Hengist character who uh, who is actually uh, Regic in disguise or, or Jack the Ripper, as it were. And he was a little bit confused by uh, Regic. Uh, physically uh, jumping into Scotty's body, killing the women, and then jumping back to Hengus. I think that's something that we talked about in the in the commentary that we did. So, what what exactly happens to this Hengist character when uh, Jack the Ripper or Regic leaves his body? Does he just lay there unconscious until Regic comes back, or what? A uh, little bit left to the imagination there. Maybe a good thing, maybe not a good thing. So. We also have some commentary from from Donnie Versaja on this one. Let's hear what Donnie has to say. I have to disagree. I think uh, I think because it features Scotty so heavily, it makes it essential. Um, and I think that uh, they really didn't have. I mean, Scotty was featured, you know, pretty prominently in most episodes, but this is the one that it was actually, you know, like his episode. And I think it's essential just because of that. You know, it's not the greatest, but it's definitely one that I would show somebody watching for the first time. All right. So it seems like we are in agreement, but a little bit divided. So we all agree here on the show this is not essential, but we have some listeners who think this is an essential episode. So this one's kind of up in the air, but uh, Craig and I, I don't think we're going to change our votes on this. What do you think, Craig? No, unfortunately, no. Yeah, unfortunate. So that, that brings us to the end of the first part of our season two wrap up episode. We'll we'll be coming back uh, next week. We'll be starting off with the trouble with triples, which is a huge, huge episode. But 
Uh, any final thoughts, gentlemen, on uh, any of the episodes that we've covered in this episode? Chris? Uh, the first half of season two is really solid. Uh, I think three of my five favorite Star Trek episodes happen in the first half of this season. Uh, the season is really, really good. Off to a great start. And, uh, yeah, I think that's about it. Craig Cohen, any final thoughts from you? Yeah, it is pretty amazing, um, Chris pointing out how you do have such iconic episodes. I mean, hands down, Amok Time and Mirror Mirror, which are both uh, early in the second season, are are incredibly important to Star Trek. So uh, it is um, pretty cool to see um, how stacked the, the first half of this season is. And I'm looking forward to... Uh, to looking at the rest of the season yeah I, I agree with both of you guys the first half of the second season i think is is more solid than the second half and we're going to get into that more next week on sunday for our next regularly scheduled episode and and as we close out here i i want to throw really quickly uh to the red shirt diaries so we we have a red shirt diaries episode uh that would be their fourth episode that's going to be launching tomorrow and I want to give uh, Ashley Victoria Robinson and Jason Inman a chance to give a little bit of a teaser as to what our audience is in store for tomorrow. So tomorrow, during the events of the Naked Time, a virus has hit the Enterprise, and a group of naked partying crewmen are trying to break into Ensign Williams' quarters. <laughs> Can she keep them out? Oh, I love it. <laughs> that sounds this, great. This has... The greatest number of guest stars of any of the episodes, and plus features the return of Gertrude, Sulu's space plant. Oh, excellent. Naked Gertrude? Yeah. Naked Gertrude. <laughs> I leave that to your imagination. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, that sounds awesome, guys. Can't wait to see it. Thanks. Hope you all enjoy. All right. Fantastic. Well, thank you guys for, for being here. Uh, thank you to Donnie Versaja and Matt Walski for uh, submitting uh, their opinions on these episodes. This is great, and I, I think that our show is uh, it, it very much enhanced by some of these great, great people uh, who we get to interact with uh, through through Facebook and Twitter and email and and all sort and of our own uh, official forums. Uh, Craig, you know, I, I know that you share those opinions. Oh, totally. Yeah, it's. Um, I look forward to uh, the the season wrap ups, our supplemental discussions, and the interactions that we have on Facebook and Twitter. Because, like I said earlier, it really uh, helps you um, put new eyes and ears on on episodes and things in those episodes that you might have missed. Yeah, definitely, uh, Chris Ritzer. Thanks a lot for your time again, and and you're going to be back next week for the rest of the wrap up. Oh, yes, without a doubt. Oh, awesome. Thanks so much. And uh, quick shout-outs to uh, George Pappy and uh, the greengirlmovie.com. Uh, incredible documentary about Susan Oliver, who appeared as the original Orion Slave Girl in The Cage and The Menagerie 1 and 2. And another shout-out to the Atomic Geekdom podcast, guys. We had a great time talking to you guys. Hopefully we get to talk to you again soon. Uh, Chris, anything you want to plug before we close out? Uh, no plugs today. All right. Uh, Cra uh, Craig Cohen, anything from you? No, well, uh, this was great and, uh, I'll, I'll talk to you next time. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you next week. Mm -hmm.